Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks very much for tuning in. Late last week, New Jersey Senator Cory Booker became the ninth Democrat, that's right, the ninth, to throw his or her hat into the ring for the 2020 presidential contest. It's so early that it seems almost ridiculous to be guessing at candidates' chances or paying much attention to their message. But make no mistake, the race for 2020 is real, and there are more candidates poised to jump in. That's where we want to begin the conversation today. Who do you want to see enter the race in 2020? And do you think all of this is just a little too premature? Is it too early to be talking about November 2020, given that it's only February 2019? We still have almost a full two years before the election takes place. As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call and tell us who you want to see get into this race, what you make of the field so far, or whether you're just not ready to engage on this question yet. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. And joining us now to talk about this early field and the presidential race heating up is Libby Casey. She is the on-air reporter and anchor who covers politics and accountability for the Washington Post. Libby, Happy New Year. Welcome to the program. Good morning. Thanks so much. Yeah. So let's start with who's in and who's out so far? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it is a big uh, field in terms of aspirations. There are about 10 people who are definitely in right now. You know, they've formed exploratory committees. They're um, making the the rounds in places like Iowa. And then there are so many others, Stephen, who are testing the waters, who are getting their names out there, who are making sure they're on cable TV and they're getting your attention. They're writing books. Um if they serve in Congress, they're they're making sure that they have very important roles in Senate committees. Uh, if they are um, people who uh, are, let's say, the former governor of Virginia, they're making sure that they are out front and center right now talking about the story that everyone in Washington is talking about, which is Ralph Northam, the, the Virginia Democratic governor um, who had this you know, appalling weekend as it was revealed that he you know, has a picture in his yearbook page of uh, a KKK member and someone in blackface. Well, you know, Terry McAuliffe has not announced that he's running for president, but he was sure to condemn that and, and mm. get his two cents in the conversation. So um, there are so many players at this point. And the latest Washington Post poll that just came out last week ago, this is a Washington Post ABC News poll, shows that like 56 percent of Democrats don't have a preference yet. So there's still a lot of time to make your mark, uh, to get your name recognized and to win people over. I know that you and I are not really ready to talk about this yet, <laughs> but for the candidates, they, they can't risk getting left behind too much in terms of a lot of things. Yeah. Who they're going to get staffed up by, what sort of support they're going to get, and they can't they can't kind of miss the wave of, uh, of public interest. So, so is there a risk, though, to getting in this early that you, you peak early or uh, that, that it's just too long and too long of a slog. I mean, there, you think of all of the things that could happen, all of the potential pratfalls that uh, exist yeah. if, you, if you're going to run a, a nearly 20, 21 month campaign. Uh, is there something that that is there a th school of thought that says, 
hold your powder. You know, mm-hmm. uh, wait till there's an actual race and then toss your name in. Yeah, it's like let everybody duke it out. Get yeah, see, right. <laughs> see some bodies on the floor <laughs> and then say, hey guys, what, what about me? I'm sterling and shiny and brand new. Um, I think it depends on how well organized you are and, and how, how prepared you are for this. Tulsi Gabbard, for example, um, from Hawaii, she's had a really rocky rollout and she's already had people defecting from her campaign. And from the outside, it looked like she just wasn't quite sure when to jump in, whether to jump in, what to do. And she announced sort of prematurely, there's a lot of pressure on candidates now to take advantage of, say, going on Stephen Colbert's show. <laughs> his, his show has become a, a, a requirement, basically, for presidential candidates Early right now. Early proving ground, Yes, right? yes. And so a couple <laughs> candidates have sort of said, well, yeah, maybe I'm, you know, they sort of let the cat out of the bag in a way that maybe their campaign machine wasn't even ready for. So she's an example of someone who perhaps was not quite prepared for the, the machine of a campaign. You know, is the website ready? Do you have your, your, you know, your launch video totally prepared and vetted? And I think it hurt her. I think she's going to suffer from that. Um, there are others like Julian Castro, who I actually just interviewed a week ago, who, you know, announced early he has very low name recognition for a lot of the American public. Used to be um, San Antonio mayor exactly, and Secretary excellent. of HUD, right? Yep. Mm-hmm, exactly, under President Obama. Really young guy, has a twin brother who serves in Congress, um, he's going to try to do the slow build, right? Get his name out there. Make some waves in places like Iowa and New Hampshire. Get to know people one-on-one in those states where that really, that relationship building really matters. Um, even as he, you know, has has a bigger, longer-term project to get name recognition big picture. Um, Cory Booker, Kamala Harris, you know, they are names that people know more about, um, but even they need to to get in the minds of the American public, and it's going to take some time to do that. Hmm. Uh, I, I want to talk about uh, Howard Schultz and his announcement that he might run for president, not as a Democrat, but as an independent. Uh, it seemed to me that uh, it was a mistake uh, to, to sort of stick his neck out quite that early, yeah. that he hadn't vetted quite enough of his own history to be able to to get himself out there. He got really walloped, not just by uh, Democrats who were saying, well, if you're going to run, why don't you run as a Democrat and not try to split the vote, but, but just by people who are saying, just because you're a billionaire doesn't mean uh, that you ought to be president of the United States. We've got that now. Totally. Um, one of my colleagues in the video department here at the Washington Post, J.M. Rieger, made a video called Howard Schultz's No Good, Very Bad, Horrible Week. I mean, you know that, that book about the terrible. Exactly. It's just like every time he opened his mouth last week, he said something that just made everyone crazy, whether you were a Democrat or whether whether you, know, you were you were um, someone concerned about that billionaire class running for president. He was really doing a lot of hits to Democrats. And Democrats were sort of like you know, buddy, we're not, you know, we're not the problem right now. Let's aim our fire at President Trump. If you've got criticisms of him, let's do that. Um, He also uh, criticized some of the policies of leading women uh, potential candidates, women uh, like Elizabeth Warren, Kamala Harris, who've formed exploratory committees, who've said they're running. Um, He was critical of some of the plans that that people like Elizabeth Warren had. And it, it it had a, in some people's minds, a bit of a sexist tone. Um, there are women running for president in a way that's unprecedented. So, you know, it, whether he was just going after leading candidates or whether it did have a, a, an air of sexism is in the eye of the beholder. But he just didn't seem to be able to do things in a smooth way. Um, you even had Michael Bloomberg 
uh, fellow rich guy criticizing him. Now, that doesn't mean that Michael Bloomberg is going to sit this one out. He's just thinking about running as a Democrat. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, it was so like on Twitter and social media, you saw people writing on their Starbucks cups, you know, don't, you know, when they when you give your name to the barista, don't run, you know, what are you thinking? Don't do it, (laughs) Howard. Um, So it, it did it did backfire a little bit, but but there's still a lot of time, right? There's still a lot of time. And this probably was a good bellwether for other candidates who have the goal of really shaking things up. Um, getting a sense from his actions over the past two weeks, what might be effective messaging and what might backfire. Sure, sure. Uh, again, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. My guest is Libby Casey. She's an on-air reporter and anchor who covers politics and accountability for The Washington Post. We're talking about the early field for presidential uh, contest, uh, the presidential contest next year in 2020. We've already got nine Democrats who say they want to take a shot at uh, running against Donald Trump. Uh, is there somebody in this field who stands out to you that you think automatically, yeah, that's somebody I could support? Is there someone who you think shouldn't be in that field? Or do you just think it's a little bit too early to even be talking about all of this? You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work you into the conversation. Joanne on Facebook says, Pete Buttigieg is impressive in every conversation I've heard. Amy Klobuchar intrigues me as well, although I've not heard her interviewed yet. Uh, Let's go to the phones here. Uh, Let's start with Mike in Chesterfield. Mike, welcome to Detroit Today. Hey, Stephen. How you doing? Hope you had a good weekend. Yeah, I did. Uh, What's on your mind? Um, So I... uh, Although I am a conservative libertarian, I am intrigued by Howard Schultz. Um, not saying I support him over libertarian, but the fact that an independent candidacy is something we desperately need to talk about in this country, and he's kind of being thrown under the bus because he's going to, quote, steal votes. And that's a very bad sort of representation in the country because, well, nobody owns votes. Votes are for <laughs> the people to decide upon, and they're not committed to one party or candidate. And then the other person I really like right now is uh, Tulsi Gibbard from Hawaii. Hmm. I think she is being very undermined by a lot of the media because of the minor instances in the past, yet a lot of people are ignoring the fact that she's a war veteran. She has the ability to reach across the aisle and, and um, sort of attract independent voters, libertarians, greens, even uh, disgruntled Republicans who might not want to support the president. Hmm. She has the ability to create a coalition that no other Democrat can. Huh. And uh, that's something that they're kind of missing out on. Michael, I really Thank appreciate uh, the call and the and the insights on both of those candidates, especially coming from someone, as you say, who I self-identifies as you know, a conservative and a libertarian. You're still taking a look at the field. Uh, of of Democrats, um, uh, Libby, uh, let's let's talk about Tulsi Gabbard, who I am not sure most listeners know. She's a, a member of Congress from Hawaii. Is that right? That's right, and um, she has sparked a lot of interest because she has really unusual foreign policy interests. She's um, she is a veteran. She's uh, in- interested in sort of non-interventionist policies. Um, she was a big supporter of Bernie Sanders. Uh, you know, last go round, but she already had to apologize for for not only anti-gay comments, but for being involved with an anti-gay organization in the past. And you know, as I mentioned, she just has not had an organized rollout. Um, th- there are some real concerns about how how this you know 
I guess here's the question. If you have a rocky rollout, is that reflective of just newness? Is that reflective of um, a lack of an organized campaign? Or is that reflective of your inability to, to do this thing right? And I think that's why she's gotten some criticism in the past week or two, because the rollout just did seem to be hmm. a bit rocky. So, so th- there's also a bigger question sort of lurking behind her candidacy, which is, you know, how big the Democratic tent can be mm. or should be in, in 2020 to take on Donald Trump. As Mike said, you know, he's attracted to the idea that this is somebody who could work across the aisle, somebody who is a little more centrist than some of the other Democrats. Uh, we're already starting to see some push and pull on that, not just with Tulsi Gabbard, but uh, also with Kamala Harris, uh, who people, some people are saying is not quite liberal enough. Absolutely. Getting through the Democratic primary is a different beast than winning the overall presidential contest. And and it is a long road. I mean, I think we're going to see a lot of twists and turns, you know, over the next months about what is attracting Democratic voters and what's attracting American voters in general. Um, Pete Buttigieg, who was mentioned, is a former mayor. He's a young guy. He's a veteran. He identifies as gay, um, which is a big deal uh, to have this young white gay man who is also a veteran Hmm. um, speaking out and saying that, you know, this is it's like it's like this is who I am. This is no big deal. And and here's what I'm going to do. And here's what I stand for. And here's what I did as a mayor. It is such a different environment. If you think about even 20 years ago, what disqualified someone in the American public's eye, but also in the political class's eye and the fundraising you know, efforts eye, what disqualified you for being a presidential candidate? I think one thing we can all embrace is the diversity of the field. Um, and it, that makes it really exciting. A lot of these candidates are going to have to get beyond, though, um, here's how I identify. It's something I was talking to Julian Castro about. I mean, he's Mm -hmm. like, yes, I I am Mexican-American, but I am also a father, a former mayor, uh, you know, a former secretary. Um, They need to show the American people that they can take on this broad portfolio from domestic policy to foreign policy uh, and, and also hit some of the core tenets of what it means to be a Democrat and not Donald Trump right now. Uh, Again, Mike, thanks very much for the call and the really uh, nuanced take on uh, those two candidates. Let's go to Kim in Canton. Kim, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Sure. I just wanted to say that although I do appreciate the Democrats that have uh, announced their candidacy, I don't see them as candidates that will be 45, and they would be an amazing cabinet. Like Kamala Harris would be an incredible attorney general. Hmm. Um, I think Elizabeth Warren would be a great VP. Kirsten Gillibrand or Joaquin Castro, or I'm sorry, Julian Castro, either Castro, <laughs> would be great, like the UN, um, UN secretary, like uh, what Nikki Haley's position was. I just don't think they can beat 45. But and every, why, single one, every single one of them would be a great cabinet. So, <laughs> so why don't you think they could beat, uh, beat the president? What's, what's, what do you think is holding them back? I just think they're. I think they're probably too far left, and I just think the base, um, 45's base, just has too much of a stronghold, and will will still push for push against uh, them being liberals. Yeah. So, 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 are there candidates who haven't yet put their name out there who you would think would be stronger opponents for the president? Um, I, I haven't seen anyone yet. I haven't researched enough yet. But I do 
for some reason, I've been thinking about Howard Dean. I think he got really railroaded when he was running before, and I would love to see him step huh. out or make some kind of um, endorse someone, yeah. maybe. Former <laughs> Ver, former Vermont governor. Still still hanging around, I think, uh, in, in some places. Uh, Kim, uh, I appreciate uh, the call. What about that question of whether there's enough strength in this field, uh, Libby. You do have uh, people like Cory Booker, who is uh, a very popular figure in the Democratic Party. He finally said last Friday he's in. Uh, you also have the prospect of Joe Biden, uh, former mm-hmm. vice president. Uh, is this field strong enough? Do Democrats think it's strong enough yet? You have to remember where Barack Obama started out when he was running for president. And he was not a household name necessarily. He's someone who had impressed people through speeches. Um, And we look back at, you know, we reflect on the rollout of his campaign as being so incredibly historic now. But not a lot of people would have realized he was going to be president of the United States all those many, many months before um, the the election. Uh, And so I think it's early days to know. We also have to be aware of what what do we think a president looks like? I mean, President Trump talks about how he, he owns this, mm-hmm. that he thinks people need to look the part for a job, right? You need to look like the UN secretary. You need to look like the <laughs> commerce secretary. And um, that's his, in his mind's eye, you know, a 70 year old white man's eye of like what it takes to look like a certain authority figure. <laughs> right. But we have to expand our own minds. Like women can be authority figures. Young people can be authority figures. African-American men and women can be authority figures. And so some of this is going to have to challenge our, our own expectations of what of what that looks like and what that feels like. And everyone has to start somewhere. And so, you know, every Democrat's going to be pointed at with a deficit. If you're a mayor, then you don't have the foreign policy chops. You know, if you're a senator, maybe you don't have the executive experience because you haven't been a governor. Um, But Donald Trump was able to tell Americans and convince Americans that some Americans that he could do this job after, you know, being the executive of a company. Hmm. So we'll see how people rise to the role and show Americans that they can serve in that capacity. Um, We also haven't talked about Republicans who might challenge Donald Trump and if Americans are ready to see someone come internally from the GOP ranks. Sure, sure. Would they have to run as an outsider or could they actually challenge from inside the party? I mean, you you could have uh, John Kasich, who's uh, the governor of Ohio, Jeff Flake, the former senator now from from Arizona. I mean, those are names that I think uh, rank and file Republicans get very excited about when they think about it. Yeah, and Jeff Flake has said he's not going to do it, which was a big deal. Instead, he announced he's going to be a CBS contributor. (laughs) So it's like the the two choices. You can go into the media or you can run for president these days if you're a former politician. Um, But you know, someone to watch is Larry Hogan, who's the Republican governor of Of Maryland. Maryland, sure. Yeah, he's been able to build a lot of uh, uh, coalition across party lines in, in what's, you know, in many parts of Maryland are very blue. Mm-hmm. So he's someone to watch. Um, and, and he's got that that sort of both that brashness that people were attracted to of Chris Christie, but also the ability to sort of reflect a little more and and work across party lines. So he's someone to, to keep your eye on. Um, but, but there's so much time for these candidates to build themselves up in the American mind and show that they can be uh, commanding, they can be authoritative. Sure. One thing they've also got to be, though, is authentic, because that seems something that Americans are really hungry for right now, especially in the era of Trump. People seem to want a candidate like Elizabeth Warren's rollout was successful in part because she tried to give a much more authentic. Here's my personal narrative. Here's my personal life story uh, approach to to wanting to run for president. Okay, Libby Casey, on air reporter and anchor who covers politics and accountability for The Washington Post. Thanks, as always, for joining us on Detroit Today. 
Thanks so much. Stay tuned. We'll see what happens next. Have fun at the State of the Union. Thank you. All right. Up next, we're going to continue the conversation with Republican Public Affairs Pro John Selleck, who worked on the Romney presidential campaign and is making his own assessment of uh, election 2020. Also, don't forget, if you miss any of today's show, you don't have to miss out on the conversation. Just go to iTunes or wherever you download podcasts. Download and subscribe to Detroit Today. Take us with you and listen when you are ready. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We are talking about the early field for the 2020 presidential contest already Nine Democrats have said they want to take a shot at the presidency and at uh, presumed uh, Republican candidate, uh, President Donald Trump, in 2020. Uh, What do you make of this field of hopefuls? What do you make of the Democrats who are saying, hey, I would love to be president. I think I could do a better job than Donald Trump is? Uh, Are there people who jump out at you as early frontrunners? Are there people who jump out because maybe you think there's no way they should be running for president or elected? Also, give us a call and tell us if you think this is all just too early, that uh, it's February of 2019. Uh, The election is not until November of 2020. Why are we talking about this at this point? Uh, As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Give us a call and let us know what you think about this field. And if you've got a candidate who's not in the race yet, who you want to see get in, we especially want to hear who that is and why you support them. Joining me now to talk more about this subject is John Selleck. He is the CEO of Harbor Strategic Public Affairs. He used to be the Michigan director of the Mitt Romney presidential campaign and worked for Republican Attorneys, General's, uh, Attorneys General uh, Mike Cox, Bill Schuette, and Governor Engler and in the Michigan legislature. This is someone who has been around for quite some time active in Republican politics. John, welcome to Detroit Today. Well, thank you, Stephen. Thanks yeah. for having me here. I don't want to crush your groove here, but for a second, if we could talk about the Super Bowl. Uh, I didn't watch the Super Bowl, John. <laughs> I think we can both celebrate. There was a Michigan quarterback and a Michigan State quarterback that won last oh, night. The backup, the former Spartan. That's really true. You know, I didn't even think of that. So celebrate that. And I, you know, the Tom Brady thing, I, I, I was boycotting the NFL this season. And, sure. and uh, one of my great regrets about that is, in fact, the 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 chance to watch uh, Tom Brady, who you know, uh, say what you want about his politics or what kind of person he is, the excellence that this guy has affected in his career over twenty years is just mind blowing, and you just love to see somebody who's that good at what they do do it uh, as right. consistently as he does. Yeah, well, I was raised as a rabid Spartan and the family of Spartans in Lansing, so I really, it's taken <laughs> till, until now to be able to uh, say nice things about the Yeah, University right, Michigan, a little hard. To... I did it. And I just want to click and say happy birthday to my son, Avery. He turned 11 yesterday. He's my Super Bowl baby. He there was born go. on the Super Bowl in 08. Oh, you're kidding. Strangely enough, Tom Brady was the quarterback in that game. <laughs> yesterday we watched it again. He's still the quarterback. That's so. pretty cool. Yep. Yeah, and, and you're he, getting to spend a little more time with your kids now that you are not working 
in government, uh, not the spokesperson uh, for uh, Attorney General Bill Schutte. That's true. But unfortunately, what I found is I have now turned to them and started trying to talk to them about sports and stuff. They want to talk to me about politics because that's <laughs> I've been stuck in my They're car like, listening to young calls all day. Dad, right? All right. Well, speaking yeah. of politics, let's get your assessment of the Democratic field, uh, the nine Democrats who already say, I'm going to run for president in 2020. Are they too early uh, jumping in? And is there anyone among that field that you say, hey, that's somebody who's pretty interesting? Yeah, well, let's first say there's a lot of people running, right? And a lot of people ran in 2012 against uh, President Obama. A lot of people ran in 2008. Uh, apparently, the job of president is still an attractive one. Uh, everybody's not running just to beat Donald Trump. They're running because they want to they be the president. They want to be president, sure. It takes an unbelievable level of ambition uh, and willingness to sacrifice in your life to run for president. It's quite a grueling task, as you mentioned earlier on the call with Libby. Um, is it too early? I actually thought about that myself over the weekend. I looked back at some of the dates that other elections got rolling for the presidential. President Trump didn't jump into the election until June uh, of the off year. Uh, Hillary wasn't that much earlier. She was in April. Um, really, the earliest one, it was President Obama. He got in in February 2008, and he mm. needed to do that, and that actually worked out into his favor. So are we going earlier than ever? Absolutely, we are. Elizabeth Warren jumped in uh, basically, I think, on December 28th. Um, now we have Kamala Harrison, we've got Cory <laughs> Booker, and like everyone's rolling, and it's just going to keep getting earlier. We clearly will move into the third year of presidential elections within the next couple cycles. And and uh, my re- regret about that, of course, is that it's a distraction. And I think no matter what you think about the candidates, uh, it is a distraction from from the policy discussions that uh, we, we, we need to have uh, in order to get some stuff done, especially when you're talking about people like Kamala Harris or Cory Booker, who have important jobs in government now. I mean, they're U.S. senators. Uh, They have a lot of work to do between now and then. And I guess I always worry that the idea of running for president somehow overwhelms that work uh, or compromises them in being able to take the positions that they maybe need to take because, well, they're looking at uh, the election that's coming up. I don't want to ruin your day, but I think you're exactly correct. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I, I'm right to fret about that. huh? Yes. Running for president is absolutely a full-time beyond full-time occupation. So, yes, their ability to do their current jobs is going to be limited. Yes, their statements and their positions are going to be altered by the, the pressures of the presidential primaries. And one thing we know right now when you look at the primaries, in the past, you would look and say there will be multiple lanes, so to speak, in a primary. Here's the progressive lane over here. Here's the union lane over here. Here's the, the, the so-called liberal or the moderate lanes, and really there's one main lane right now, and it's the progressive lane um, where everybody's having to fit, and they're under a lot of pressure. They self-select, they tear down. Almost every candidate that's even in the progressive lane right now that could end up being the nominee will be attacked and torn down by their own people many times over. Kamala Harris is already seeing it. She was an attorney general in the state of California. She enforced the law. She kept people safe, and she's being attacked for it right now, and she'll continue to be so. Um, Cory Booker's being torn apart or, you know, where all his stories true about when he was the mayor of Newark. It'll happen to all of them. And then, like we saw over this weekend, Cory Booker rolled out his campaign. He did a nice job of it and got absolutely rained on and and, and lost in the mix of what happened with Virginia and with Governor Northam there. You you just cannot predict what's going to happen and who's going to be able to hold the spotlight and for how long. I think Elizabeth Warren is attempting to hold the spotlight for multiple months <laughs> by putting in the exploratory here and now jumping in with her teaser video for what she's going to announce on February 9th over there. But one thing I would say about 
the the top tier candidates, I think that there is a on paper list and there's probably a reality list of what's going to happen. Right now, at a poll that was out over the weekend on Twitter about the Iowa primary had Joe Biden far out in the lead. Um, I think that may just be a false positive because because of I don't know that Joe Biden's going to run. I don't, I don't know that he can run. Knows, right? Uh, in what lane would he fit in? He'd fit in probably the what now is considered the moderate, quote, liberal, not the progressive one. He's mm. got a 30, 40 year record. They're already starting to tear out what he what did he say in nineteen eighty? What did he say in nineteen ninety? <laughs> he's seventy six years old and he's very likable. Joe Biden, after six or eight months of a of a presidential primary, may not be quite the popular guy. He would look very different. He would. And then Elizabeth Warren, let me comment on her briefly. Um she may have what I call the Chris Christie syndrome. And Chris Christie had a lot of syndromes, but (laughs) (laughs) the one is the the window in time in which is your right time to run. His right time to run in retrospect was 2012. He should have challenged Mitt Romney. That was his time. He didn't do it. It led to a whole lot of problems for him, and he went down in flames. Um, Elizabeth Warren's window was probably 2016, is my guess. Um, in the past, that window used to be huge. If you think about it, Ronald Reagan ran for president in 1968, 1976, <laughs> and 1980, and he finally won. That was the thing. You had to run multiple times unless you caught lightning in a bottle. Um, Elizabeth Warren probably missed her window. The flip side, Bernie Sanders, he probably did run in his window. It was 2016. And then it would be hard to reignite all of that excitement. Uh, it is. Well, I think his, his mistake, like many others uh, that happened, is he, he, he was brave enough to jump onto the coming progressive wave in the Democratic primary um, but he now thinks that he invented the wave and it belongs to him. But <laughs> he was the inventor. He was the one that found it. He discovered it. And now everyone else jumped on it and he's yesterday's news. So mm-hmm. I think he's he's going to do some damage and carry some weight in the primaries, but he's not going to win. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. My guest is John Selleck, CEO of Harbor Strategic Public Fairs, used to be uh, Michigan director of the Michigan, Mitt Romney presidential campaign, also uh, worked for... Republican Attorneys General Mike Cox and Bill Schuette, Governor Engler, and in the Michigan legislature, we're talking about the 2020 presidential field. Let's start with uh, Bashar in Oak Park. Bashar, welcome to Detroit today. Hi, good morning. Hey. Um, I do think it's too early uh, to decide. Um, I think that that's not really the candidate's fault, though, with uh, their need to raise money. Um, it's It's got to be now. But the one candidate that I'd like to see that is not in there right now is uh, Jerry Brown of California. Um, I don't think he will get in, and I don't think he would win if he did get in because he is old. And he's 80, uh, isn't he? Is un- yep, which yeah. I think is unfair. But the reason that I'd like to see him get in and the reason I think he's so qualified, besides his record in California, is just his understanding of the military-industrial complex his understanding of the dangers of nuclear weapons. And um, it's not something that I've heard a lot from any of the other candidates, Hmm. not even in in 2016. Um, So I would love to see him in for that reason, because I think that that's a very important issue that, unfortunately, nobody is paying attention to. Hmm. Uh, Bashar, I really appreciate the, the call and the idea there. I haven't heard a lot of people talking about the idea of Jerry Brown running for president. Of course, he did run for president before. Uh, I remember voting in my very first Democratic primary in 1992 for Jerry Brown uh, among the Democrats uh, who were I voted for H.W. the same time. That was my first. (laughs) There you go, right? Uh, What about that idea of someone like Jerry Brown who has had such a long career and a pretty successful one 
is governor of California, or just was governor of California, is, is now retired. Uh, could somebody like that come in and sort of overwhelm, I guess, the rest of the field because he's got such a record, because he's so qualified, uh, and, and run away with it? Well, he's also quite a character, and I've enjoyed reading all the stories. The New York Times did a pretty big spread <laughs> on him and what kind of a character he is. Um, I think the time in the, the Democrat Party right now for him has passed. I think that the progressive lane has, is attempting to stomp out everyone else. And Jerry used to be considered Governor Moonbean, Boom, Moonbean, and he, he now he was a, He was a very liberal figure in the Democratic Party 30 years ago. Today he's he's not considered uh, part of that progressive wing, I guess, and not not as much. That's right. That's why there's probably not room for Howard Schultz, like you talked about earlier, because he's got a mix of views across the board. I don't understand why Mike Bloomberg thinks that he has a lane, other than his money, to get into that. I don't think he has a place. I think Biden will fall victim to the same thing, and I think there's a few others like uh, Jill and Brand and Klobuchar. You talked about Sherrod Brown. They're sort of over in that lane as well. They haven't been as rabid over on the progressive side, and mm-hmm. they're, they're trying to squeeze out the non-progressive side. Yeah. Uh, Bashar, I appreciate the call. Uh, let's go to Charlie in Detroit. Charlie, welcome to Detroit today. Yeah, I, I guess, you know, as a lifelong Democrat, I'm sad to say that in order to beat Donald Trump and, you know, his cr- criminal cabal, they're get, whoever is a candidate is just going to have to be as mean, nasty, dirty, and underhanded as him and his cronies. Otherwise, I, I just don't see him being able to take on uh, that kind of machine. I mean, truth is out the window, and it's it's just become a nasty zero-sum game. Um, maybe a guy like Jerry Brown is a scrapper enough to do it, but I'd like to see a guy like Bill Gates, but it's, who knows if he'd have a chance. <laughs> That's an interesting idea, Charlie. I really appreciate the call. Uh, Jeff or John, I, I, I do really wonder about this idea that things have gotten so awful in the way we talk to each other about policy uh, and the way we think of the presidency. I mean, there's no question that Donald Trump has changed all of those things, that that it makes it difficult for somebody to come out, let's say like Cory Booker, who is is already out with a super positive message. Uh, he's even talking about love, political love, uh, which, you know, it seems sort of uh, dangerous almost in, a, in a, the era of Donald Trump. Can that kind of message even survive in the current climate? A positive message? Well, first he's being he's being ridiculed for it, which I think is a terrible a terrible thing right. for us, right? Um, for sure. I think that I think people are hungry um, first and foremost for government to get its act together. Then they would be more expectant of behavior. I think that's why we've seen some behavior that's overboard be ignored and look the other way because in the end people have to figure out how they're going to pay their bills and are we going to take care of some of these pressing issues and stop dancing around them i think though there are several candidates on the dem side that will push a positive message i think kamala harris is pushing a message of power empowerment Mm -hmm. and strength i think like you just said cory booker is trying to do the same thing to some extent elizabeth warren will try to do that but that's not bernie sanders thing um and it may be some of the other candidates things i think what an interesting tie there will be if you look forward, the primary is going to be big and messy. They always are, right? It's going to cause all these Democrats who are now who have it easy going on MSNBC, only attacking the president. Suddenly, just like in 2012, when all the Republicans 
used to only attack Obama, but then they suddenly had to beat each other. They started attacking each other. <laughs> We're going to see the Democrats start attacking each other no matter how disciplined some of them try to be. And that's going to create um, some open space for the president to run with. He enjoys those kind of battles. He's going to be able to pick and, and poke into their primary as he goes. But when we get to the general, we have to look and see or, where is the presidency going to be won? And I'm still talking about this positive message here. So bear with me for a second. In the past, in 2012, as recently as 2012, when I was on the Romney campaign, there were swing states like Florida, but that's basically considered Republican now. Ohio, now considered Republican. Um, Virginia, now considered Democrat. Um, Arizona, probably still Republican. Colorado has flipped over to being a Democrat state. So the number, Iowa just had polls out over the weekend that showed President Trump beating Kamala Harris. Mm -hmm. So these states are starting to firm up into their corners. And what does that leave? It leaves the Midwest, at least Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania, the very states that provided President Trump with his win. Well, in Michigan, Governor Whitmer made a decision early in her race that she was not going to run super hard to the progressive side. She was going to let a couple other progressives duke it out to the side and beat each other up. And she would go through in the middle sort of as the the grown-up. We haven't seen a lot of that on the, the national stage yet, and I don't know if that will happen. But what I think that does mean is some of these national candidates, they're coastal. Elizabeth Warren's the East Coast, Kamala Harris is the West. They're going to look for a VP. They're going to look for Governor Whitmer in Michigan. Wow. Wow. That's a very bold prediction. Uh, I haven't heard anyone talking about that. All right. John Selleck, uh, CEO of Harbor Strategic Public Affairs. Thanks very much for being here with us on Detroit Today. Thank you. Up next, WDET begins running Marketplace Tech today at 630. We're going to talk to the host, Molly Wood. Stay with us on Detroit Today.